The 12 bar blues, one of the easiest, most used, and certainly the most cliched chord progression in 20th century popular music. Everyone uses it at least a little bit. Some people pretty much use nothing else. Yes, I'm looking at you, Chuck Berry, and Status Quo. So let's take a little look at this form and the way it's used in a range of songs and styles. We'll explore a few ways of making it more interesting than just one, four, one, five, four, one chords on repeat. And importantly, we'll look at it more as a basis for songwriting than just playing the blues. So I'm not going to talk about the obvious masters of the form like Stevie Ray Vaughan, Robert Cray or Derek Trucks. Think more Queen, Prince, The Clash, artists like that. So the reason that the use of 12 bar blues in songwriting is so interesting to me is simply that it kind of isn't songwriting or to put it perhaps a little bit more fairly, it shortcuts, it sort of bypasses a lot of the songwriting process. It does a lot of the heavy lifting for you. Now, that's true to some degree of any form, whether that's a fugue or the super common verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, pop, song, format, or even the famous four chords. But it's more true of 12 bar blues than anything else that I can think of. So firstly, the progression itself is, if taken strictly, a bit of a straitjacket. We stay on the one chord for four bars, then the four chord, then back to the one, then the five chord, four, one, back to the beginning, and then around and around and around for like three or four minutes. Even if we think about the most common variations, for example, putting the four chord a little earlier on in the progression, ending on the dominant chord, we can add some chromatic passing chords or do a little two, five, one, or even a six, two, five, one, as you'll occasionally hear. You can throw in some diminished chords. It all kind of ultimately sounds the same, particularly to the average listener. And it's not just a harmonic shortcut that 12 bar blues gives us, but melodic, which is kind of obvious given that it goes in hand in hand with the chords and lyrical and tonal shortcuts are offered by the form. After all, we so strongly associate these basic harmonic movements with specific cultural references that there's a natural set of lyrics that songwriters reach for when they use the 12 bar blues progression. So we have, I woke up this morning. I woke up this morning. This morning I woke up, woke up, I woke up this morning. I woke up this morning. My baby left me. My baby has left me. My baby left me. That sort of thing. Given how ingrained these tropes are to the form, it's unsurprisingly one of the easiest to spoof. Weird Al, for example, goes straight for the I woke up this morning joke in this tune. I woke up this morning. Then I went back to bed. And we even see a little joke at the blues expense in the American version of The Office. But those same tropes that are so easily parodied and spoofed also offer songwriters some unique opportunities. Some of the more interesting uses of this form from a songwriting point of view play with our expectations or they subvert the usual tropes to inject a bit of freshness into it. Also, let's just accept that sometimes in songwriting, as well as anything in life, Shortcuts can be useful. If you're a professional musician, it is okay to sometimes take the easier route. That's what shortcuts are for. 
Chocolates to, to what, you ask? Mushrooms! No, not that, but there's something. Let, let's find out. So in this video, we're going to go through a bunch of songs and look at those which really are just straightforward, obvious and undisguised 12-bar blues, moving to variations on the famous progression, through some songs that play with the form a little more, and even some songs that aren't really 12-bar blues at all, but clearly still owe a lot to it. We're talking in pretty broad terms here, so I feel justified in blurring the definition for my own purposes. They're all just variation on the same general idea, so yeah. Also, it's my channel, and I'll do what I want. So let's start, not quite at the very beginning, but the early 20th century. We'll start with Robert Johnson, arguably the most famous early blues artist today. Johnson's songs have proved the most enduring of the pre-war era. Two, in particular, are still very well known today, at least among rock and blues fans. Fangs? At least among rock and blues fans. First is Crossroads, most famously covered by the band Cream, but also there are some really great versions by Free. I love their versions, some great guitar solos. Ry Kuda and John Mayer. These subsequent artists are actually covering Cream's version of it and they lean heavily on Eric Clapton's riff, but that's fine. I went to the The song is one of the primary foundations of the Robert Johnson myth, and in turn, therefore, one of the founding myths of blues and rock music. This is the myth that Robert Johnson sold his soul at a crossroads to the devil in return for some righteous chops. Weirdly, the song doesn't actually mention the devil at all, but a few other Robert Johnson songs do, and Crossroads themselves have a very, very long and remarkably global history of association with the devil and ghosts and all sorts of wrong, weird and spooky stuff. So I guess it felt natural to link Johnson and his playing with a Faustian deal with Satan. The song itself is really just a story about trying to hitchhike and failing to flag a ride. At least on the surface, like all great art, there are a range of interpretations of this song, from relationship troubles to feelings of existential angst, all the way to social commentary and protest against a deeply racist South. Either way, the myth of Robert Johnson and his deal with the devil is a timeless one, and this myth dominates his reputation and his fame today. He's not quite the founding member of the 27 Club, but he's pretty close, and he's referenced either directly or indirectly in both the 80s film Crossroads, and in the Coen Brothers' Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which is basically a sudden retelling of the Odyssey. You folks going past Tishmingo. Sure. Well, I had to be at that there crossroads last midnight. Sell my soul to the devil. And then we have Sweet Home Chicago. I think the average person is most likely to recognize this tune from the Blues Brothers soundtrack, but again, loads of people have covered this one. Eric Clapton, again, Freddie King, I'm not going to list everyone, there's tons. 
Now, Robert Johnson didn't actually write this song, at least not as a complete original. There are a few precedents that Johnson used as his template. Not really a problem, and I think we can give him a fair amount of credit for turning it into the classic that we recognise today. This is a 12-bar blues after all, and while it's pretty standard to use older pieces as a basis for new music in any genre, in blues it's pretty much the set expectation. Artists like Led Zeppelin probably take it a bit too far though. Anyway, songs like Crossroad Blues and Sweet Home Chicago really make up the fundamental DNA of blues music. Robert Johnson wasn't the first or the only pre-war blues musician, of course, but he's ended up occupying a unique space and afforded a mythic status above any of his contemporaries. Accurately or not, he's often seen as exemplifying the more serious, kind of deep, side of the blues. So let's skip forward a few decades to Chuck Berry, who quite obviously wrote and performed music on the more whimsical side. Chuck's use of 12-bar blues form was arguably the single most influential on mainstream pop, and what makes his songwriting so great isn't let's say, the non-existent melodic or harmonic sophistication. And it's not like Chuck Berry had much in the way of atmospheric or tonal range either, given that virtually every song sounds the same. And his guitar style, which again, was pretty much always the same, influential as it was, was pretty much 90% ripped off of T-Bone Walker anyway. I do really like Chick Berry's songs though, and his efficacy as a songwriter just comes down really to his ability to portray characters, tell stories, and you know, turn a good phrase efficiently and cleverly within the 12 bar blues format. Take as one example, Rollover Beethoven. I've always had a weakness for self-referential songs, and this is kind of the OG of circular pop songs. You see, Chuck Berry wants to hear the song he's currently singing on the radio. That kind of doesn't make sense, right? It's a brilliant piece of self-conscious, sort of self-mythologizing songwriting. Chuck is acutely aware of the commercial reality of 50s pop music and the importance of the radio, and he leans into it. He's also very aware of the disparity between the 12-bar blues form that most of his songwriting takes, which is fun, sexy, simple, and populist, compared to the sophisticated but potentially antiquated classical music of years gone by. Roll Over Beethoven as a statement and as a song is effectively an announcement that rock is here to stay and it is bigger and it is better than classical music. Roll Over Beethoven, tell Tchaikovsky the news. And then Johnny Be Good is just like the archetypal mythic rock and roll song. I'd say it's as much of a founding myth for rock and roll as Robert Johnson's Crossroads is for blues. And like every Chuck Berry song, the real brilliance is in the lyrics, the story he tells and the way he builds himself up as a legend off the back of his own songwriting. Johnny is clearly Chuck himself, showing that he had a pretty high opinion of his own guitar playing. Johnny Be Good also does something a little different to most 12-bar blues songs. It has a discrete chorus. It's this bit. He does this rather than just having a refrain at the beginning or end of each verse. For example, Robert Johnson's Crossroad Blues takes the song one verse at a time with repeated lines at the beginning of each stanza, and Sweet Home Chicago has refrains at the end of each stanza, 
as well as those brief semi-spoken interludes. Rollover Beethoven follows the same structure with the song name appearing at the end of each verse. Johnny B. Good, though, has fully formed choruses. As we look at some of the later examples, we'll see these two general approaches taken repeatedly, either end of stanza refrains or full choruses. I'm not really sure if there's a pattern or reason behind the choice either way, but it is what it is. Anyway, Chuck Berry brought 12-bar blues firmly into pop music, and his influence on 60s rock bands is clear. The Beatles covered him, and John Lennon specifically said he saw Chuck, and not Elvis, as the true king of rock and roll. The Beach Boys covered him, <coughs> and even when they weren't ripping him off, their early work clearly owed a lot to Chuck's style. The Kinks, the Rolling Stones, and then into the 70s, Electric Light Orchestra, Glam Rock, and beyond all owed plenty to his songs. But these bands didn't just take the basic 12-bar blues form that was handed to them, they picked it up and they ran with it, changing it around, playing with the conventions and expanding the lyrical themes used with it. The Beatles have loads of songs that are based on 12-bar blues, from Day Tripper to The Word to Don't Pass Me By to the one after 909, but my favourite example is Year Blues from the White Album. This is actually a six bar blues song and it pushes the form a little bit further by also including a G chord. That is the major chord built off of the flattened third degree in the key of E. But that's neither here nor there, let's just still count this as 12 bar blues. So within this tune, John gives us what is essentially an absurd exaggeration of if not the blues generally, then at least 60s British blues. The lyrics take the depressive tendency of blues music and they dial it right up to 11. I really like this song and I've always felt that John was having a bit of fun with it, with those references to Bob Dylan and Robert Johnson sprinkled throughout. But John being John, and he was nothing if not a pretty complex guy, he also seems to have been pretty earnest about it too, writing the song after genuinely feeling suicidal and depressed while in India. So it ends up being a pretty fun but also very intense listen. We go through some tempo and meter changes, some cool sloppy guitar playing, and grade A John screaming. No, no, Satirical, but serious. Classic John. The Beatles, being consummate songwriters, were never going to approach the blues in the way that their contemporaries, like, say, Cream, did. None of the Beatles were really blues guys in a pure way, nor were they really confident soloists to the extent that Eric Clapton was. So why compete directly with him on that playing field? So instead of primarily being a vehicle for some cool guitar playing, although I do think the guitar playing is pretty cool on the track, it ends up being just a great piece of songwriting and it's about the tune as a whole. On to the Beach Boys. Outside of the obvious early Chuck Berry inspired hits, they don't have many straightforward 12-bar blues tunes. Two great examples though where the Beach Boys go pretty much full 12-bar blues are Don't Back Down from All Summer Long and Bugged at My Old Man from Summer Days and Summer Nights. Because this is Brian Wilson we're talking about, both have something at least a bit weird going on. Don't Back Down is clearly the less weird song. It's very much in the vein of their famous early surfer hits, and it's pretty trite, lyrically speaking. I mean, I do like the song, it's fun, but it's a bit silly. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We get some slight musical weirdness from the half-step modulations into each chorus, and then the half-step modulations 
back down into the verses. I think we're much more used now to hearing songs that modulate up and stay up, or maybe keep going up, say in a coda. But the move up and back down again is relatively common in these early Beach Boys tunes and can be heard elsewhere like on Derek and the Domino's classic blues rock tune, Layla. So Don't Back Down is basically a cool little song then. As I said, I like it. Not sure if I love it, but that's fine. I'm bugged at my old man though. <laughs> now this song is a doozy. Brian's novelty boogie-woogie pastiche about the abuse he suffered at the hands of his father? I don't know how else to describe this very weird song. The bridge veers away from 12-bar blues a little, but the verses stick right to the form and alongside Brian's ridiculous falsetto, I wish I could see outside. his brother's creepy harmonies, Gosh, it's dark. his choppy piano playing, His not quite right Elvis impression. Honey jerked my phone right out of the wall. And those lyrics about parental abuse. They gave me some breadcrumbs and a little glass of water. Kind of no wonder that Brian didn't want to be credited on the album sleeve. But then he was happy recording and releasing the song, and he clearly knew that everyone would realize it was him that was singing. It's all very weird. What else can you expect from Brian Wilson though, right? But honestly, I do think the song is a keeper. It's certainly, and I know I'm repeating myself here, very weird, but it's also emotionally raw and it fits right in with the typical blues tropes of, you know, suffering and feeling crap. It just so happens that in this semi-parodic goofball song, it's the suffering of a rich white Californian pop star and his troubles sound comparatively trivial in the grand scheme of things. I wish I could do some homework, but I got suspended from school. That isn't to say it's any less authentic or real or believable or whatever. After all, Murray, the Wilson family patriarch, and one-time manager of the Beach Boys was by all accounts a truly odious man and the silliness of the tune disguises some real, real trauma. So listen, syncopate a little. Uh, what are the words? Sing it, sing it. Since you put me down, I've been out doing it in my head. I say, show him, show him how to do it just once down. Let me sing it. Let me hear, sing it, sing it. Since you put me down. No. Since you put me down. Brian, I'm a genius too, let's go, huh? One, two, three. Like John Lennon then, Brian's use of a cliched form breathes fresh air into it. At the very least, whatever you think of the song, you have to concede that it sounds like nothing else. So by the time we get to the late 60s, 12-bar blues was more than mainstream. It was everywhere. Everyone was using it in rock, pop, jazz, folk, psychedelic music, everything. It almost seems like you could record any whole 12-bar blues tune throughout the 60s and early 70s and probably get a hit. Everything from Green Onions to Red River Valley in the early 60s to 
through to dueling banjos in the 70s, which is almost our famous blues progression. And British blues acts, of course, loved it. Fleetwood Mac's Black Magic Woman, to take one example, is a nice little variation on the progression. For one, it's a minor blues, so that in itself is a little different from our examples so far. This is probably the most famous example of a minor 12-bar blues alongside B.B. King's The Thrill Is Gone, and it's probably best known today for Santana's 1970 hit. Got a black magic woman Got a black magic woman I do think though that the Fleetwood Mac original is better. I'm just a sucker for Peter Green's approach to playing guitar and I love his voice. Even this original has that slightly Latin feel to it and that's partly down to the rhythm and guitar part but also down to the Andalusian cadence at the end of each verse with that dominant 7 chord going back to a minor tonic. Lyrically, this song hits those relationship trouble themes that obviously all genres obsess over, but given that this is the blues, we're back to mentions of the devil and black magic. Obviously, Peter Green can't actually take responsibility for his insatiable thirst, so he blames it on a tricksy magical woman. Then again, this is the blues. What else are we to expect? The 70s and the 80s saw some further interesting songwriting applications of the form, and many of them really do start to feel, at least to me, very unblues, in spite of either adhering very closely to the 12 bar progression or being quite obviously based on it. Let's start though with a song that is actually completely recognizably and obviously 12 bar blues Ride a White Swan by T Rex. <laughs> Mark Bolan is the original glam rocker and the genre glam rock is arguably the first mainstream back to basics movement in rock music as a whole. No wonder it was so influential on punk rock in the UK. And this song exemplifies that attitude. It's almost got washboard and jug band vibes to it. It's super sparse, straightforward and simple. But it's also a sort of neo-pagan hippie tune about, I, I don't know, like hippie crap, I guess. I always thought there was something uniquely enchanting about Mark Boland's almost gleeful, blatant, low-effort songwriting. It's like, he knows he's all show, but you know it too. And he knows you know, and you know he knows. All he really is, at the end of the day, is Chuck Berry in Middle Earth, probably on acid, under a metric fuckton of eyeliner and glitter. That's it. That's the formula. Okay, so there's also occasional Bob Dylan-esque wordplay and some other stuff, but it's sidelined by the whole boogie-woogie trashy hobbit bit. And Ride a White Swan, in spite of sounding like a million different blues tunes, ends up sounding completely unique and one of a kind. I don't know how many other Wiccan blues songs are out there, and whether it's just down to Mark's charm or his nonsense poetry, his music, for me at least, just works. Joni Mitchell's song, Harry's House slash Centerpiece though, is the opposite end of the simple, sophisticated spectrum to Ride a White Swan. Here, the 12-bar blues portion is actually just a small section of the entire tune, and with walking bass and meandering piano playing over a shuffle beat, this section acts as a nice little song within a song. 
it's not often that a tune will move into and then out of 12 bar blues form. Most tend to just stick with it, most or all of the way through. But this is Joni Mitchell we're talking about, right? She's pretty much the prog rock of songwriters. Okay, so let's cheat a little bit now and look at a song that isn't actually 12 Bar Blues, or at least for most of its duration. So this song is Pink Floyd's Money from Dark Side of the Moon. So the verse is just a sort of harmonically static riff in B minor in 7-8 timing. We all know it. <laughs> And it's only actually the guitar solos that bring us purely into 12-bar blues territory. Like Joni Mitchell's tune I just mentioned then, we move to and from the 12-bar blues form. Unlike Jody's tune though, this song at least feels bluesy the entire time. The song is in swing feel, and the verse is basically just a wonky blues riff. Very typical for the genre, if not for the weird time signature. And the choruses with their F sharp minor and E minor chords introduce the five and four chords we might expect to hear in a 12-bar blues. That sleepy saxophone solo that starts about two minutes in takes us on a semi 12 bar blues journey when the classic riff moves up to E minor. And then the guitar solo takes us both into 4 4 and we get some straightforward 12 bar blues. Hurrah! kind of assume they go into 4-4 to make it easier on David Gilmour. Soloing in 7-8 is tricky, so I get it. David Gilmour is ultimately a blues guitarist, and it's not often that he gets the opportunity in Pink Floyd to just give us some straight down the line 12-bar blues playing. Nice. This tune really is the epitome of prog or space blues. Money or work or the lack of either have long been topics popular to sing about in blues. So Roger Water and Friends are in good company. But it's never before been dealt with so philosophically or existentially. Or maybe it's just more removed. It's sort of at a distance, not really about the daily struggles of a lack of money, but about money as a thing overall. It's usually sung about in a much more immediate or day-to-day -day sense. I guess Pink Floyd were, at this point, quite removed from the immediate pressing needs of earning cash, so why would they sing about it in the exact same way as decades-old blues artists? Like the earlier songs we looked at, Money front loads each verse with the... I wouldn't quite call it a refrain, it's just the word money. money, 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 money. It performs a similar role to the classic I Woke Up This Morning of older blues songs. Money also has those chorus bits, which kind of aren't choruses. I'm not sure what else to call them. They're certainly not refrains given that each is different, but they do the thing that choruses do, musically speaking. The song is also on one of the most exquisitely produced albums of all time. With the sample voices at the end of the song, the cash jingling percussive intro, well, we're a million miles away from the blues roots, sonically speaking, right? The song then, as a whole, is very blues, and yet not at all. It's not just tripped out space rock guys who loved blues progressions around this time. Punk bands also found it impossible to resist them. I'm not sure if, say, the Ramones ever fully embraced it, but they rarely strayed particularly far from it. My punk example here, though, is The Clash's Should I Stay or Should I Go? 
Dawn. which really is fundamentally just the 12 bar blues. This is one of the first rock songs I remember ever listening to and loving. This is hands down one of the best punk songs of the early 80s or just ever in fact. Self-deprecating, self-pitying, catchy, rough, down and dirty and fun. Here we have another 12 bar blues song about relationship woes. Thanks to Mick Jones's petulant punk singing on this track, it feels very definitely like teenage relationship woes, but it does sound pretty hellish to be fair to him. I mean, yeesh, if it's that bad, just leave either way, bro. It's always tease, tease, tease. You're happy when I'm on my knees. One day is fine and next is black. This song goes for both the end of verse refrain, should I stay or should I go, and the full blown chorus, here played with a kind of double time feel. Should I stay or should I go now? In spite of ticking off so many blues tropes and structures, it doesn't sound to me particularly bluesy. And it just goes to show how much work is done by things like production, instrumental timbre, and accent. This is a punk song played in a punk rock way by a guy with a very obviously British accent. If you, don't want me, set me free. you can play a blues progression all you like and utilize some of the tropes to whatever extent you want. Those other elements are always going to guide how we hear those things and no one is going to call this a blues song, even if it does fit into the broader tradition of the form. Interestingly, the Eurythmic Sweet Dreams is kind of similar to this in that the form isn't that far away from a blues progression, but when we hear it, we don't hear blues at all, we hear a synth pop song. Anyway, finally wrapping up with some 80s examples. These take us even further away, sonically speaking, from the original blue sound and feel, while sticking pretty closely to the actual chord progression we all know and love. Prince gives the blues his sleazy electro sex funk treatment in 1986's Kiss, and in doing so makes it sound completely fresh. Harmonically, this is just a long, drawn-out blues. Lyrically speaking, sexual suggestiveness, or just being straightforwardly sexually explicit, has long been a part of the 12-bar blues form. I mean, there's literally a genre known as dirty blues. I got something between my legs, I'll make a dead man come out daddy. Sonically though, it doesn't really sound blues at all, thanks to that 80s pop production. Electronic drums, mad falsetto, vocal gymnastics set to a funky beat. Kiss is the creation of an absolute madman, and we love it. I do wonder if he took maybe a little influence from Queen's own 12 bar blues mega hit from two years before, I Want to Break Free. I want to break free. I want to. Like Prince's song, this is pretty simple in its 12 bar blues form though it does include a bridge that strays away from it a little, and it too ends up, to me at least, sounding very unbluesy thanks to the production and general 80s vibe. Where the two songs differ though is in the fact that Prince's is very obviously a sexy song, Queen's not so much. Let's put the video aside, which of course is very definitely sexy. 
The song isn't breaking any new ground in terms of its lyrical subject matter either way. As I've already said, relationship problems are a usual fare in both rock and blues and pop and folk and jazz. It's probably the most popular topic ever, I guess. Part of the reason it sounds so un-blues is down to Queen's overall musical approach. It's a synth-laden tune with these hugely orchestrated Brian May multi-tracked guitar parts. The vocal melody to me is also not bluesy at all. It's sort of too good, maybe. It leaves plenty of space in a way that you might expect a blues song to do, but the pitches themselves don't really touch on the sort of blue notes or minor thirds and minor sevenths that you might expect a blues melody too. Interestingly though, the verse lyrics do fit the stereotypical blues format of say a thing, then say it again, then say it again with variation. It is a blues song after all. And without an actual chorus, I Want to Break Free follows the same refrain at the end of each verse form that we saw in Sweet Home Chicago and earlier blues songs. Nonetheless, like The Clash's song and like Prince's, no one is going to call this a blues song. It's part of that tradition, but it's a pop song that uses a 12-bar blues progression and some of the appropriate tropes, but it's still a pop song. And we couldn't talk about the 80s without mentioning the king of pop, Michael Jackson. Though the song I'm actually going to mention is from the 90s, Black and White. Again, this doesn't sound to me like the blues at all. It's just a perfect slice of funk pop. And in spite of the verses sticking closely to the 12 bar progression, clearly is not blues. Still, like the last few songs, it does work with some of those lyrical themes that we see in blues tunes. And it shares some of the lyrical similarities with them. The song is about racial inequality, a long favourite topic of blues songs. Back, for example, to Robert Johnson's Crossroads. As I briefly pointed out earlier, one of the interpretations of this song sees the line about the rising sun going down. As a reference to sundown towns in the deep south. These were all white areas that excluded black and basically any non-white Americans through discriminatory laws or just through straightforward violence. Basically these signs were put up in these towns or neighborhoods saying that black people had to leave before sundown. There are to this day towns in parts of the south that operate in much the same way. The reference in Crossroads is a pretty oblique one. It's not 100% clear that it's meant to be taken as such either way. But beyond that, it's pretty clear why blues musicians would be inclined to sing about such things. And Michael Jackson places himself firmly in that tradition here. Also pushing back against the newspapers, he at one point appeared in on a near daily basis. And we even get a goofy rap. What a tune. And just like I Want to Break Free, the refrain occurs on the last few bars of the 12 bar progression in each verse rather than in a discrete chorus. Even here then, in the early 90s, in a funk pop mega hit, elements of the original 12 bar blues structures and some of the same old lyrical themes endure. And why shouldn't they? People often say that there are really only a few stories to tell out there. And the same is sort of true for lyrical subjects. All art is basically about 
relationships or our standing in the world or society, about living day to day or about dying. There's not much you can really write about. Blues and specifically the 12 bar blues is just one way of approaching these topics. And although it's easy to think of it all as just an overplayed or boring or repetitive structure, and to be clear, it is or can be all of those things, it's also all the richer for it as a tradition. Writing a song using this chord progression is a shortcut to the ways that other people have written about them. It's not a shortcut to mushrooms. After all then, unless you're into playing psychedelic blues, in which case it's kind of all the same. Now, I'm sure I've left out some obvious choices. So why don't you leave a comment below telling me some of your favorite examples of great songwriting within the 12 bar blues or 12 bar blues adjacent format. I'm also curious about more recent examples. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any hits from the last, say, 20 years that use the 12-bar blues progression. If you do have any suggestions, leave a comment below. Cheers. Thanks for watching. Please like and subscribe if you like my content.